have to forgive me. I'm a little drunk in the spirit. <laughs> I, I don't say that. Just say it. I, it's just true. I, I felt the spirit of revival enter the room. Um, of course, this was a people that were formed for revival, for presence worship. God marked you. That doesn't change because you go through trials. In this world, you'll have many tribulations, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. You still have him. You have one another. And all of life, you will go through about two to four earth-shattering, bone-rattling trials where you will either choose to open your heart and love again or not. And the good news is if you do, you'll move him. Because God likes tried faith. What is it about tested faith that God loves? He loves it. Puppy loves good. First love's good, but that's not enough. I don't want first love to go, but I want more than first love. I want tried love. I want tested love. The kind of love that makes it through and you look over across the room and see your wife and after 50 years of marriage and goes, man, lady, I respect you. I don't just love you. I respect you because you made the hard choices and love God and chose to open your heart again when you could have checked out on me many times. When, you des- when I deserved for you to check out on me many times. But you opened your heart again and found love there. And so... uh Anyway, here we are together, New Philly. God is still with you, whether you like it or not. (laughs) He is faithful to his promise to you, even when it looks dead. And you, he will take you through the process of death and resurrection because that's what he does. People didn't tell you that when you signed up for it, but that's he always leads you. Through death and resurrection, your salvation is not the evasion of death, but the resurrection from death. And so that will play out on many, many different ways and shapes and forms. Not only your individual life, but corporate life. And so it was really good to feel that spirit of revival in the room. He's still with you. And I felt like his invitation, will you believe again? Not through hype, not through puppy love. Do you have that phrase in Korea? Puppy love? Not puppy love, not the first wave of love, but through tested love. Will you believe again for the promise? Or will you be like those who draw back and his soul will not find pleasure in them? But will you be like those who persevere? Who lay hold of the promise. So that's always the question. You know. And so I felt. Encouragement tonight. He's with you. Abba's with you. The Father's with you. The Lord is with you. The Spirit's with you. So that's not what I'm speaking on tonight. I was going to speak on that. Until I. Got really touched by Jesus. Said to speak on something else. So I'm going to speak on something else. 
and hopefully uh, it will make sense. But uh, I just want to say the Lord is faithful. It was about 10 years ago, November 11th, when the Holy Spirit fell on our school. And the freshman class began to experience the Holy Spirit in a new way. And 10 months later, there were 7,000 healings and 1,500 baptisms. In just a short period of time, the Holy Spirit began to move. I was remembering as I was sitting back there the night that a man by the name of Charlie Brown, it's his real name, guess what his wife's name is? Patty. Peppermint Patty. (laughs) You can't make that stuff up, people. It's like destiny. Charlie Brown and Patty, it's just they were going to meet and fall in love. It just had to happen. You know, but um, Charlie uh, had been deaf in one of his ears his whole life. He was an elderly man. Mike had married uh, him and his wife, uh, Patty. And he was sitting out in the middle of the congregation. I'll never forget the night. He started screaming or shouting rather. I can hear. Just during the worship, the Holy Spirit touched him I can hear he's shouting I can hear he's gone to be with the Lord now that's how old he was but for a few years he got to hear what kind of the father just decided I want Charlie to hear after all these years he was screaming I can hear I can hear came up on the stage and I'll never forget the night we said well the Lord's healing ears so if you can't hear if you're deaf in one or more ears Come up to the front. I thought maybe two people would respond. Twelve people came up that could not hear. And so twelve people starting from the left to the right. I'll never forget it. Pop. That, that means the ear opened. Pop. <laughs> Pop. <laughs> so you got two people just. <laughs> but I can hear. Then third Skip one guy. Don't know why. Not making a theology out of it. Or, or uh, 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 you know, philosophy of ministry. It just skipped him and then opened every other ear all the way down. Don't know. that that Probably the Lord so loves that one guy. It says the world's not worthy of those who believe yet did not receive the promise. The world's not worthy of them, Hebrews says. God probably wanted to give him a greater inheritance to believe in spite of the evidence. But skipped him and killed everyone else. I'll never forget that night. I feel the presence of the Lord like that night. I feel him here. I just do. I'm just sharing that with you. And I'm not hype. I don't care about a meeting. I don't care whether. That's not what I care about. I care about being honest with what the Spirit's doing. And I'll never forget it. That night, God marked me so deeply. I remember the last two weeks, the Lord said, go back into the place of prayer and contend for a greater outpouring of the Spirit. And as a sign to you that you've chosen wisely, I'm going to heal elderly people, give them full body makeovers. I'll never forget it. I'll never forget the lady who was a United Methodist pastor for over 40 years 
She had a severe back injury, had rods in her back. She couldn't move. She was in severe pain every day of her life. When suddenly, how does the Lord heal somebody with rods in their back? But he did. He healed her, and I saw her running from the back, screaming. She's a powerful preacher. <laughs> she just, she gave testimony. And I'll never forget a guy by the name of James, elderly man. Because elderly people don't respond to healing altar calls. You know that, right? <laughs> they don't. They figure we've lived our life, and, you know, this comes with the breakdown of the body, and let young people go up for healing. Elderly people usually don't. They just sit there. They've got enough of a relationship with Jesus that whether he heals them or not, they love him and they're good. <laughs> but as a sign and a wonder, I remember James began with his knee, was healed. And the elderly man came up. The Lord healed my knee. And as he's standing there, he, the Lord heals his neck, his elbow, and everything else. He's like, oh, no. My neck just got healed. This, and just... Healed him. And I, I remember watching elderly people be healed and just weeping over the love of the Father and of the promise that one day we'll all be healed of everything. I'll never forget that. I'll never forget the day the guy came in and um, he was he called his cousin who was part of the who was experiencing revival and he called his cousin. He was addicted to drugs. He'd been in a motorcycle accident and half of his body was paralyzed. And his fiance calls his cousin and says, I, I just want to end my life. My fiance, who was pregnant, aborted our child and ran off with another man. And I'm addicted to drugs. And I'm a, he was a drug dealer, actually. And I'm paralyzed in part of my body. And, and the guy said, just get in your car and drive Kansas City. Just get here. Guy goes, why? He goes, I just get here. Just come with me. I'm going to take you to a place. Come with me. So he came to his cousin, drove all night, and the next day he got there. And he uh, walked in the, the back of the room, and as he came in, a student got a word of knowledge, walked up to him and said, you're paralyzed in part of your body from a motorcycle accident, and the Lord is healing you right now. power of the spirit hit him he was completely healed born again filled with the holy spirit the student led him the student did everything and he comes up on the stage testifying and he's brand spanking new completely unchurched born again and he he doesn't mean to but every other word's a cuss word because it's just so he's like nobody told me about this blankety blank nobody i mean just no one told me it was this blankety good and <laughs> i just fell in love with him i fell in love with this guy and he gets up and tells how god immediately had delivered him 600 dollars a week marijuana uh, uh, addiction moving into narcotics and da 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 and how God healed him. And then he gives the best presentation of the gospel. And you know what he does? I, I still don't know. The spirit is so amazing to me. He goes, and nobody told me that God could heal. 
And he goes, and if you want to be healed, come up to these lines and stand on these lines right now. No, he doesn't know what the lines are. He's completely unchurched. Who, who knows what the lines are up there? He goes, come stand on these lines and God's going to heal you right now. And they came and stood and he prayed for him. 30 minutes born again and the power of the Holy Spirit hits people and they're completely touched by God and the healing powers released. I remember when a family came from northern Arkansas. Corey, do you know Corey Russell? Have you heard of him? It's his people, Arkansas people. And they had all were addicted to drugs and had been divorced and remarried. And they came from a small enough town where he divorced her and got remarried to her sister, who then had a kid with that guy and this guy. And it was like this whole family tree. I can't explain it. It was just a bad scenario. But one of them got healed, went down and brought, brought the rest of them. And I'll never forget it as they all forgave each other. Decided to give their lives to Jesus. They got baptized, filled with the Spirit, and they all committed to raise their children and be godly and faithful from now on. And the Lord delivered them from drugs. And about 30 some of them stood there with their kids and all the convoluted relationships and they forgave and gave their lives to Jesus. And I just said, only God can pull off this kind of stuff. I feel that spirit here tonight. He's here. He's with you. He's not drawn back from his promise. He wants to use New Philly as a catalytic move of the Spirit. You're to be presence worshipers. You're to love Him with your whole heart, even when you go through the trial. Hey, if you think it's a bummer to open your heart again after disappointment, imagine what God goes through every day. He's 100% vulnerable to you every day. 100% given to you every day. And every day he's mostly rebuffed in his advances. And yet he never, Isaiah 42 says, he never grows discouraged until he established justice, justice in the earth. Jesus never gets discouraged. He's got reason to close his heart up towards you. You've said no to him how many thousand times? And yet today you say, come, Lord, and he comes. How humble is God? Come, Lord, heal. He heals. You tell him what to do all the time. If Jesus was to visit your house, he'd cook a meal, serve you, clean the dishes, take out the trash, blow you kisses, Bless you, good night. You have no idea how kind and gentle he is. I guess I keep hearing him say, New Philly, open your heart up to me again. Don't shut your heart off. Don't safeguard yourself to pain. I want to do a great work in your midst. I want to do a great work, but it's resurrection on the other side of crucifixion. <laughs> but get used to it. That's how he works. 
But if you let the pain touch you and turn it into intercession, it becomes resurrection. If you let the pain touch you, you'll produce a groan. And that groan will move him. Because he needs partners. He doesn't just do it on his own. You wish he was just sovereign and you had nothing to do with it. But he is sovereign and you have something to do with it. And he needs a partner to groan with him, to move him to intercession. Like Mary. Mary's not just she meets the Father heart of God sitting at his feet and then she meets the Father heart of God as he produces this gold in her. He produces it through suffering. And the Bible says he does it to the ones he loves. Have you ever wondered that in John 11? It says he loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And then it says Lazarus was sick. <laughs> You're like, wait. Why'd you choose the ones you love to let die? <laughs> what, like pick an enemy. <laughs> like kill Pilate. <laughs> you know, and raise him up. You, know, but you choose your friends to crush. Why? Because Jesus needs another human to weep in the pain. And when they weep in the pain, not grow bitter. If you grow bitter, it produces nothing in God. If you shut your heart down and don't feel it, it produces nothing in God. But if in the pain you weep and you groan, you'll move Jesus to weep. My God, when Jesus weeps, Graves open. The spirit moves. See, Jesus needs somebody to make him weep. Somebody that's been through the pain of the promise and come out on the other side. I want you to turn there to John 11 for me real quick. I'm, I'm telling you the word of the Lord tonight. I know it's the word of the Lord to you, New Philly, but you weigh it. Because I've been wrong before. John 11. The journey is going to begin in Luke chapter 10. With this young little maiden. But it's first before the little. This young girl. A lawyer is going to ask a question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do? Jesus turns it around and goes. Well you tell me. What do you think we should do? To the lawyer. The lawyer says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you answered rightly, do these and you will live. The only problem is no one can do them. We're by nature objects of wrath. We're depraved hearts. We can't do them. But Jesus said, you're right. You do these two things, you'll live. And the lawyer, wanting to justify himself, said, well, who's my neighbor? Which is interesting. That's really not the hard commandment. I mean, we kind of know who our neighbor is, don't we? Know the good Samaritan. I won't go. Th but he wanted to justify himself, said, who's my neighbor? So he gives, you know, the good Samaritan. I won't go through that. But the second commandment's not really that hard. You know when you love and when you don't. You know immediately when you're stingy and crass and, you know, stubborn and you withhold your heart and you misjudge. You know all that stuff. You know, you know that. To me, the bigger question is, how can I love God? How do I love him with all my heart? And so Jesus doesn't just tell a story to display the first commandment. 
He takes a little girl and brings her into wholehearted love. So it moves right from the parable of the good Samaritan right into this little girl named Mary who does the unthinkable. You know, Martha, her older sister, Martha's a go-getter. I mean, I love Martha. I absolutely love Martha. She, she scares me. She really scares me. She's bold. I mean, who asked the most popular man in the whole nation to come eat at her house? Because if you eat it, if he eats at your house, you lose your roof. People, uh, they, you'll lose your roof. People rip the roof off. I mean, Jesus healed them all. And the whole region went out to follow him. They pressed against him. If they would over uh, affliction garment, they would be healed. Let me ask you, if you had a terminal illness or a broke leg or whatever uh, affliction, and you knew if you can just touch the hem of his garment, you're healed. Mm-hmm. You're not stopping me. I'm touching that dude on his garment. No matter what, even if he's asleep in some little stone house. I'm reaching through the window. I'm crawling in. I'm waiting there at 5 a.m. in the morning when he goes out for, I'm doing, I'm Can you imagine the stir around this man? Martha goes, come eat at my house. (laughs) But what she doesn't count on is she not only gets Jesus, she gets the whole world. (laughs) And she gets all his disciples and they don't fast. So they eat like crazy. And she starts running out of hummus and gets all bent out of shape. The bagels and the hummus are out. and She has no help. And Mary does the unthinkable. This little girl has the audacity to sit down at Jesus' feet. Now you read that and you just think of sitting. But in the context, sitting is to presume you are a disciple. She presumes on him. She hears him, she sees him, and she goes, I know he likes me. I know he'll let me. Beloved, do you know we only have one instance in recorded history where a woman sat at a rabbi's feet? Only one recording in history. And she was severely rebuked. She was the rabbi's daughter. So she thought, it's my dad, I can sit there. She was severely rebuked, and we don't have another recording in ancient times of a woman sitting at a rabbi's feet. And yet Mary, this young sister, comes in and can you imagine all the traffic she had to press through? She had to press through the family dynamics. Can you picture? Because we know Martha's getting ticked off. I mean, Martha's the hard worker, the go-getter. She take on everybody, the oldest daughter. You know, the, the, the oldest son, Lazarus, is probably worthless. She had to do all the work. <laughs> I don't mean that, Lazarus. He's <laughs> Who knows? You're amazing. But, uh, uh, but Martha, she's a go-getter. And Mary has the audacity to sit there. Can you imagine the social norms she had to press through? Now, it must have either been so bad, the disciples' reactions, that Luke doesn't record them. Because, you know, Peter had a foul mouth. The Bible says, get away from me, Lord. I have unclean speech. I mean, he was a sailor. You ever heard that cussing like a sailor? 
Who knows what they said about her? Luke doesn't record it, or maybe they were too busy eating. But, but we don't get there, but social norms were against it, but family norms. Can you imagine how many times Martha is walking as Mary's just sitting there, the creative younger sister? She's sitting there listening to Jesus. Can you imagine Martha? How many times she came up, whispered threats in her ear. She walks behind Jesus, gives the look. Can you imagine this? And then when finally, but, that, but that's not the biggest thing. Finally, though, Martha, the family dynamic is going to lead to the place to where she actually approaches Jesus and says, Jesus, don't you care? <laughs> the guy that just healed everybody. <laughs> don't you care Jesus don't you have a compassionate bone <laughs> I'm out of hummus my sister won't help me don't make her isn't that interesting don't you care make my sister help me now at this point you could imagine see the biggest threat to Mary isn't the family norms or the social norms, it's actually her own reasons why Jesus shouldn't let her there. And you can imagine at this point, it would seem to be healthy if Jesus would have just said, hey, Mary, you, you know what? Um, for the sake of love, I, I, I let you sit here, but man, for the sake of unity and love, you, you need to get up. Help your sister come back another day, maybe at another person's house. But today, for love's sake, the second commandment, get up. But he doesn't do it. He looks at her and then looks at Martha and says, Martha, Martha. Now, it's interesting. Anytime the name is said twice, it's an interesting intonation. And depending on how you hear Jesus' voice right here is depending on how you're going to interpret it. I used to read this passage and I would hear Jesus go, Martha, Martha, get it together, lady. <laughs> you know, your homo isn't that great. You know, just, get it together. Martha, Martha. But whenever the na a name's used twice by God in the scriptures, it's always tender and always kind. I'll give you an example. Moses. Moses from the burning bush. Moses. 40 years on the backside of a desert. Moses. Moses. He says it so tenderly. He goes, Martha. Martha. You have many worries. You're worried about many things. But one thing's needed right now. Mary's chosen the good part. I won't take it from her. Can you imagine that? He's looking at Mary, talking to Martha, and basically says to her, Hey, Martha, you got a lot of worries, but one thing's needed. You see that face on, Mar on Mary? That's the same look Moses had when he said, Show me your glory. 
That's the same look David had in the tabernacle when he looked at my glory over the mercy seat and said, one thing I desire. That's the same face Isaiah had when he saw the Lord high and lifted up. That's the face I'm dying for. (laughs) And I'm not taking that away from anybody. Why don't you sit down, Martha, and join them? We'll have two girls right here at the front. That's how he begins, and that's how he always begins in the life of faith. He always allures you and lets you know you can sit here at his table and presume upon his love and presume upon his kindness, and he's not evaluating you for what you had done or did do or didn't or this or this, da 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 Mary did one thing. She presumed she could sit there. Let me tell you tonight, God's the one person you can presume upon. What do you mean by that, Alan? Well, you hate presumption. You hate when people presume on you. They show up at your house and ring the doorbell and just presume they can come over because they're your friend. You hate that. You hate presumption. Or they presume upon your friendship in a way that demands more equity than they have. They just bear their soul to you and expect you to bear their soul back. That's presumption. We hate that. God loves your presumption that you presume you can sit at his feet and be welcomed. You can presume that he wants to be with you more than you want to be with him. You can presume that his mercies are new every morning. You can presume that your sin is forgotten and cast from the east is from the west and the only one bringing it up is you. Does he forget? <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, we could have a whole discussion on how powerful God is to forget. How is a God who knows everything and remembers everything forget? He's so powerful he can forget. I didn't say it. The word says it in Psalm 103. Don't look at me crazy. He says he forgets. <laughs> he forgets our sin. He cast it as far as the east is from the west. You can presume upon God. You can dare to draw near even when you don't deserve it. Because of Christ, because of mercy. That's where the life begins is when you discover the farther heart of God where you were made in his image and he wants to be with you. I love it when my kids presume upon me to be with me. It it does something to me. And so that's where we begin the life of faith, but it doesn't end there. There's a two-sided coin to faith. One is first love. The other is tested love. And they both are part of the kingdom. You got to have first love so you can have tested love. (laughs) How many of you, did I tell you about my son? I I didn't tell y'all. My middle son's about to be, he's, he's about, uh, He's about to pop the question. I hope they don't watch this or don't put the tape up till Christmas. He's about to pop the, pop the question, and I keep asking. I go, Jonathan, you know, I probe him. I do premarital counseling without saying it's premarital counseling. And I evaluate their recreation together, how they rest, how they work through conflict, all those type of things, their interests, da-da-da-da-da. And so I'm asking the right questions. But you know something about puppy love? First love, Nothing's wrong. Everything's amazing. 
this is the girl of my dreams. <laughs> and you know what? The, the Holy Spirit says, just leave him there. Just let him stay there. Just let that revival in his own heart for love take place. Why? Because it'll be tested. And you need that. But it doesn't stop there with just infatuation and first love. It's going to move to tested love. And so this little girl who's the picture of wholehearted love begins with Jesus saying, just come sit down and talk to me. Listen to me. Interact with me. Let's don't count your baggage. Let's don't count your performance. Let's don't listen to your older sister. Let nobody keep you from me. You come. That's the look I'm going to die for. It, we call it the adoring gaze. Don't let anything steal your adoring gaze. Just talk to him all the time. Like some of you go, well, I'm not in full-time ministry. That's easy for you. You get to pray as part of your job four to six hours a day. That, 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 that. No, I get to talk to him all the time. I'm here. There's no prayer room. I'm talking to him all day. Talk to him. Commune with him. Interact with him. He's a person. He's approachable. You can stay. <laughs> and don't let anything pull you away from that presumption. You can stay. But then there's the other part of this, which is tested love. Turn with me to John chapter 11. Now, this is interesting. Hallelujah. This is the fun part. Look at this tested love. I can't wait to grow really old with my wife. Just tested love. Celebrate 50, 60 year anniversaries. This is going to be tested love now. It's the other side of the coin. Look at this. Now, a certain man was sick. Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Now, this is interesting. This is very important for you, you Bible teachers here. Listen to me. How many of you are leaders or home group leaders or small group leaders or something leaders? Raise your hand. There's two of you in the whole group. You never have done small groups at all. But the point is, if you're going to be a Bible teacher, you need to look at this because the Apostle John connects this story with her pouring everything out in wholehearted love. Now, what's interesting about Mary of Bethany is you always hear the story of her sitting at Jesus' feet and you always hear the story about her breaking the perfume over Jesus. We always go from Luke 10... <laughs> to Mark 14 or John 12, and nobody talks about the story in between that actually got her there. Nobody talks about that because you know what? In Christianity, when you signed up and you got born again in the Mr. Revival, nobody told you about the crucifixion coming. No one told you. Oh, yeah, we're a revival movement. We're the Lord. We're a catalytic movement in South Korea. Uh, and, and no one told you he's going to kill you. So he can raise you up so the catalytic thing can be bigger and actually fulfill the promise that you wanted and you asked for to begin with. Because the initial anointing that births you is not Pentecost. 
The initial anointing is Matthew 10 where Jesus gives it to the 12 and then he gives them a rapid season of increase all the way to uh, uh, Matthew 16 to where now he warns them to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees' hypocrisy. And for the next six months, all the wheels fall off and all the deficiencies in the leaders get exposed, called the disciples. And then Jesus gets crucified. The founder leaves. And then he tells them to go back in a room and pray together and fall in love again and dream and make your heart open. And the Holy Spirit visits them with a more powerful anointing than the initial anointing that birthed them. But you know what happens in most movements? New Philly. You know what happens? Most of, most movements receive the initial anointing that bursts the movement. And no one tells them of the cross that's coming in a few years that's going to test them to the uttermost to see if they'll embrace the pain and turn it into an intercession that gives a resurrection a Pentecost for a greater movement. Most in the midst of the crucifixion and the exposure of leaders' deficiencies get embittered and disillusioned and they just give up and the thing just wanes or they just live in the fantasy of the first anointing that birthed them and never move into maturity as a people to cry out. And the pain that we really lost Judas. There's pain. There's reality. You lose. Or the, or the one who's perfect goes up into heaven. It seems like to me the guy in the resurrected body, glorified resurrected body, ought to lead the movement for the next charge. <laughs> he just disappears and goes, y'all work it out. Go in a room. Pray. Make your heart open again. Believe for another move again. Believe. Don't shut your heart down. Pain's real. It's part of it. But God deals with death and resurrection. Most movements aren't told that. So when they hit the wall, they give up. Not knowing that it's actually God who's wanting to produce something in you that moves him so he can pour something out upon you greater than what you first experienced. Much greater. Much more powerful. If you want to be a catalytic movement for God. Now, if you just want to be a little parish down in Busan and Seoul and just kind of be the English-speaking people and kind of be that, then go be that. There's lots of y'all. Most of the world's like that. You won't be special at all. You'll just be lethargic. But if you actually want to birth something for a nation or nations, God goes, okay, then I'll bring you near. I'll let you experience everything I experienced. Death and resurrection. So we can produce something. I don't know if you're getting what I'm saying. But you can have that Pollyanna season, season of Luke 10. He let me stay. And then Jesus goes, oh. <laughs> I'm going to produce something in this little girl. She's moved me. I like her. I'm going to choose her to do something she wouldn't have chosen. Suffer.
Look at this. So here, look at me, because we're, we're doing expositional preaching, which is in John chapter 11. He connects this story with what? Talk to me now. Don't get all silent. I know you're tired. He connects this story of suffering that she's about to go through with what? This is the same Mary that anointed Jesus and poured it all out and gave her inheritance to him. So in other words, he's tipping us off. What happened here was the key factor that led to this wholehearted abandonment. But we don't talk about John 11. We just talk about sitting at Mary's feet, Mary sitting at his feet, and then skip right over to pouring out the perfumes. First love unto abandoned love. No, it was first love unto crush loved unto abandoned love. <laughs> first love unto cross unto resurrection. That's how it always goes. That's how it always moves. But if somebody doesn't tell you that, you'll be solely disappointed, sorely disappointed in marriage. Because marriage is the greatest sanctifier. That's where you really feel lonely and get disillusioned. That's really, you really go from first love into crush love, crucifixion, into resurrection if you allow it. So that the glory is not of man, but of God. It'll be the picture. But somebody's got to tell you that. I can't tell my son that yet. He's just lost in first love. I just leave him alone. I'll tell him, you know, after the honeymoon. But in John 11, it says, It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil, wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore, the sister sent to him. Thank you, Lord. I'm telling you this for a reason. He's inviting you to be carriers of revival. Listen, that was your original invitation. And it's not been forgotten by God. Thank you. Who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Now this is very interesting. This really bothers me. Look at this. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Two times it says he loved them. Now I love this. He loved Martha. Lay off of Martha. Quit beating up on her. He loved her. We use that to like beat up administrators. If you got a ministrative gift, he loves you. If you're organized, your life's well put together, he loves you. Quit pitting Mary and Martha. He loved Martha. He said right here. He loved her. He just wanted her to sit down. <laughs> sit down, then get up and organize some more. But sit down. Right? Right? Sometimes he'll tell Mary to get up and do something. But at that point, she needed to sit down too. So he loved them. Now here's what bothers me about the whole thing. Why does he choose the ones he loves? Somebody's going to get sick and die. It could have been anyone. So when it says this sickness will not end in death, but for the glory of God, is Jesus talking about the glory that comes from raising up a dead carcass that stinks really bad and is starting to rot? Is that the glory he's after? 
dead for four days, stinky, smelly. If that's the case, he doesn't need to choose somebody he loves. He can choose somebody he doesn't. Of course, he loves everybody, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> he, he can choose Pilate, a Pharisee, a leader that resists him. I mean, why not choose one of his ardent enemies? Imagine that. But he chooses the ones he loves. You've got to wrestle with this. Some of you go, I'm, I'm suffering. And you, you draw the wrong conclusion. Yeah, because you're the one he loves. He doesn't prune the rotten branches. He prunes the fruitful branches. The bad branches get lost. Philly, you got pruned because you're fruitful. Not because you're bad branches. Bad branches get lopped off. Good branches get pruned. Therefore rejoice when you have various trials, James says. Consider it all joy when you go through various trials. He likes you. <laughs> You're the one he loves. Now look at this. Jesus is going to do something and he's going to set him up in the tension of faith. In fact, you shouldn't like what Jesus says right here. Look at this. You're going to have to wrestle with this. This is the God you love and serve. He says, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And then look at number six, verse six. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. He delays on purpose. He hears he's sick, so he doesn't go. I would have liked it to said he didn't go. But then when he heard he died, he took off and helped. But it doesn't. It says when he heard he was sick and had need, he stayed. And then he gives this vague prophecy that really bothers me. This doesn't seem pastoral at all. Let me ask you a question. Which it seems more loving to say this sickness will not end in death before the glory of God? That intentionally puts the idea that Lazarus is not going to die. Right? He gives a vague prophecy that leads to a reasonable conclusion. In fact, you wouldn't think anything else. And sends him off and then he delays. It seems like to me the more loving thing would have been for him to say, Hey, Mary and Martha, I, I need you to settle down for a minute. I've got some rough news, but it's going to end well. Lazarus is going to die. I'm going to hold off. I'm going to let him die because I need him to be really dead. I need his body to start rotting because I'm going to produce a miracle that's going to be a sign that I'm the son of God. And I've chosen him to be part of that sign. His name will be in scripture forever. We'll talk about the raising of Lazarus for generations to come. So tell Lazarus I need him to die well. Trusting in God as an example to the community of faith. And then I'll come and raise him up. How many of you think that's more pastoral? I'm, I'm going to get a show of hands. How many of you think the vague prophecy that sets up belief in a certain way but doesn't get answered in that certain way because he doesn't tell them about the death that's coming, he actually makes them think there will not be a death. 
How many of you think that is the most pastoral loving answer? I can't believe this group. You just voted against Jesus. <laughs> most of the time, everybody raises their hands because they don't want to vote against Jesus. They, they feel one way, but they... How many of you think it would have been much more loving to say, hey, you're going to die? And I'm going to delay because I need it to be a sign and a wonder. But die well. Be of good cheer. I'll be there in about, you know, seven days. But it's going to be amazing. But he doesn't do it. Has he ever given you a prophecy like that? You're going to be an apostle to the nations. The Lord's going to open doors in the nations through your ministry. Da, 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 da. What he didn't tell you is prison. <laughs> Betrayal. <laughs> didn't tell you about that. Didn't tell you about your character was going to be questioned. Everything you would have would be lost. See, God, God works through death and resurrection. And sometimes he has good news for you where it looks like the promise is dead. But here's the good news for you, new Philly. He chooses the ones he loves. He loved you. Look what happens. Look what Jesus does. Now, why am I going to tell you this? Because New Philly, he's looking for a certain response from you. Some of you here go, I'm new. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I know those elders walk around looking all sad, but I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> so what? It's family. You married into a family that's got a history. <laughs> and it looks kind of like Arkansas right now. But <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Arkansas has the most billionaires per capita of any place on the earth. So just, it's okay. <laughs> now look at this. Let's keep going. Two more days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. Look at the disciples. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you and you're going there. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. But look at verse 11. These things he said. And after that, he said to them, our friend... Now we know he not only loves him, but he's good friends with Lazarus. Our friend Lazarus, look at this, sleeps. But I go that I may wake him up. Now this is so funny. The disciples are so funny. <laughs> Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get well. <laughs> so Jesus cuts to it. He's like, does anybody have any wit here? Any type of abstract thought? He goes, Lazarus is dead, y'all. Like sleep, like death, sleep, like sleep, death. He's dead. <laughs> I just love it. There's, they say, don't wake him up. He'll get well. And Jesus goes, he's dead. <laughs> and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. 
Now look, now look what it says in verse 17. We're going to see, we're going to hear the same thing said to Jesus three different times and only one time it's going to move him. Lord, if you had been here, Lazarus would not have died. Look at this. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. Many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Now, Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That's the initial statement. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You said, but you didn't deliver. And she's going to do something here. What's what she's going to do with some of the best theology you have read in the New Testament? Look what she's going to do. If you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. So she knows he has all power. She's seen him raise other dead folk. She says, you ask, but guess what? Jesus isn't looking for him to ask. He wants her to ask. He's trying to produce and pull something out of her. She just wants to leave it all to sovereignty. You ask. You're powerful. You do it. You gave the promise. You do it. The, the thing is, when a promise comes, it doesn't get answered without you entering in. He's looking for something. And the wrestle that moves him to answer his own promise. That's what we don't get. He's sovereign, but he, there's, there is everything you can't do without God. But many things you can't do without you doing your part. You cannot do God. I'll say it this way. You cannot do God's part, but God won't do your part. He wants partnership with you. He wants you to produce something. He wants you to enter in. That's why the father said to the son, ask of me and I'll give you the nations. Well, you promised me the nations. Just give them to me. No, you ask. I promised. Now you ask. You ask me. I want partnership. If the Son of God has to ask you, you're going to have to ask too. She goes, you, she just leaves it to sovereignty. You do it. Even now, you can ask. It will be given. Look what he says. Jesus said to your brother, will rise again. Now she's going to do something. She's going to let herself out of the tension of this promise, the death of the promise. And fighting for the resurrection of the promise, she lets herself out. Jesus goes, your brother will rise again. Look what she says. Now, this is amazing theology. I know he will rise again in the resurrection in the last day. She believes in the resurrection of the dead. Look what else. Jesus said to her, but this doesn't, this doesn't impress Jesus. Her theology doesn't impress it. Why? She used theology to let herself out of the pain. So she doesn't have to groan and cry and weep. and She doesn't have to wrestle with him like Jacob to the morning light. God wants you to wrestle with him. He wants you to feel the pain of the loss of the promise so it produces something in you that will move him. 
She goes, I know he'll be raised in the last day. And Jesus goes, I am the resurrection. Look what he says. You've let, you've let me out of the tension. You've let me off the hook. Don't you let me off the hook, Martha. Don't you shut your heart down in the pain and think it was a momentary thing and you put it off to the future? Feel the pain, woman. Wrestle with me. Don't you let me off the hook. Don't you flatline. I gave you a promise, New Philly. Trial came in. I delayed for a couple days. Don't you flatline on me. Don't you let me off the hook. Don't you close your heart down. No, wrestle with me, New Philly. I gave you a promise. Wrestle for it. Fight for your inheritance. Look me in the eye. You've got a real devil and real sin and real deficiency and real demons. And I'm in it with you. But I need you to feel. I need you to be vulnerable again. I need you to believe the promise when it's dead. And you don't want to because it hurts too bad. I know what that feels like. Because I've had thousands of human beings let go of the promise when they were that close because they refused to feel and press through the pain. You go, I don't know. I'm, I'm new. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, let me tell you something. What is real in the corporate reality is real in your individual life. Lose a child. You'll know what I'm talking about. Everybody goes through death and resurrection. Look at this. He goes, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And he who believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this, Martha? In other words, he's calling her back into the wrestle. He's trying to not let her off the hook. He's He's going, don't let me off the hook and I'm not letting you come into the wrestle. We can produce a resurrection if you'll partner with me. Look what happens. Oh my gosh, look what she says to him. This is, this is a greater statement than Peter said in the great confession. Look at this. There's no one in the gospels that gives a confession like this. This is, this is outstanding and nobody remembers it. Why? Because she didn't have the faith along with her theology. Look what she does. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ. She goes, you're the Messiah. She goes further, you're the son of God who is coming to the world. My gosh, what a theological statement. Do you believe this? Look what she says. Yes, Lord. Now she gives up the promise, though. She goes, I believe in you. I don't believe in the promise. He goes, do you believe this, the resurrection? She goes, yeah, I believe. You're the Christ, the Son of God. But she's lost the wrestle. She's given up on the promise. She doesn't move him. Nothing happens. Great theology. But nothing. But look what happens when, when Mary comes. And when she said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, the teacher has come, is calling for you. He's looking for somebody who will not let him off the hook and wrestle in the pain and turn the pain into intercession. 
He's looking for somebody. He's going, I need a partner. Martha's not going to do it. She's got great theology. She just let me off the hook. It's not going to produce anything. I, I need somebody who will groan. Beloved, you know, Jesus groaned with loud cries in the garden with his father. Jesus is on the cross and he's not letting go of his inheritance. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? This is not what you promised. I want the end of this thing. Finished, God shows up. Jesus wrestles with him on the cross. You've got to get this. I don't. The teacher has come and is calling for you. And as soon as she heard that she arose quickly and came to him. Now look, Jesus stays outside the town. He doesn't come in. Beloved, you got to know this. He's not going to come in and coddle you till you're all healed. He doesn't want you healed. He wants you groaning. And somebody's got to, a father will tell you the truth. He wants you groaning. Groaning. <laughs> Now, of course, he's going to heal, but what you got to know is the groan will produce the healing. The weeping will produce the healing. You want healing without the weeping. It doesn't work like that because he's birthing something here. I wish I could tell my wife there was no pain in childbirth. I remember. I remember the first birth. I mean, it was long. The labor was hard all night long. Anybody right now pregnant with your first child? Anybody remember you being pregnant with your first child? Did you hear? She was like, ah. I was up all night. It was really hard for me. It was like 6 a.m. I'd been up all night. I needed a donut. I needed some coffee. I went down to get the donut and the coffee, and all of a sudden I heard over the loudspeaker, Alan Hood, would you please report to labor and delivery right now? Alan Hood, please report. Alan Hood, get here right now. I run up, I don't get the donut. I mean, I was weak. It was tough. I walk in, they're tearing away the bed, putting up the stirrups, and they're going. My wife screams, never leave me again. People, I made up for it. But she wouldn't fit in the stirrups. She was real little. And so she wouldn't fit in the stirrups, so the doctor had me hold one of her feet. So she could push with her feet. Beloved, this is not a place for a brand new husband. I kept saying to the doctor, I go, that's not going to work. She's going to die. You have to help her. This God, I mean, I prayed in tongues like crazy. Now, what you have to understand, and, and, and the baby was born, and Samuel's great, and everything's fine, and I saw the miracle and went, oh, my gosh, I respect this lady. She gets whatever she wants from now on. <laughs> you know, our second one came fast. You know when transitions come fast? It's even more painful. Her water broke. She had been to the gynecologist that day, said she was only two centimeters dilated. Men, in case you don't know anything I'm talking about, zero to ten. Ten's where you got to go. She was only at two. She had a long way to go. It's going to be a couple weeks until her water broke that night. 
We lived about 30 minutes outside of town. She went from her water breaking within 45 minutes. She was in full-blown transition contractions every minute and a half. Then it went to a minute. Then I jumped in the car and I drove a hundred and some miles an hour to get to the hospital and the baby began to crown before we got there. I remember her mom saying, Honey, do you want us to pull over and deliver the baby right here? And I'll never forget it as my wife and I looked at each other and both screamed, No. (laughs) And as we drove up to the hospital, our minivan was rocking from my wife, grabbing and just screaming. Anybody that's seen childbirth knows. It's not pretty, but it's a miracle. There's a lot of groaning before that baby comes out. But it's beautiful. The baby was crowning. And they tried to hold up the baby, the nurses, because bless their heart, it was Christmas Eve. Can you imagine calling the gynecologist on Christmas Eve at 4 a.m.? So they were trying to hold the baby so the doctor deliver it. My wife's eyes were gone. She looked at I was like, honey, run away from the light. Like, don't run to the light. God, get away. Like, it's not your time. Come back to me. Literally, I was like, run away. (laughs) I thought she was dead. And finally, I just looked over and said, she's giving birth to this baby. Because the pain was so great, I thought she was going to die. And she gave birth to a child. Amazing, Jonathan David. My point is, is that we don't choose the pain. But God invites us into the pain if we want to be a pre- people who birth something. If you don't want to be a people who birth something, then you're okay. Just be happy in your lethargy. But you won't be fruitful. But if you want to birth something, if you want to be fruitful, there's pain. And in the midst of the pain, you've got to choose whether you're going to open your heart up and wrestle with God in the pain. What does Mary do? She comes and she falls and she weeps. There's no theology lesson. She makes no faith statement. She just weeps. She just goes. And says the same thing that Martha said and the professional mourners are going to say. See, the professional mourners say it, but they're just. It's cultural. It's not real. It's not it's not moving him. Martha lets him off the hook. And he's needing something more. She falls at his feet. She begins to weep and worship. And she says, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. And all of a sudden, look what happens. Oh, my gosh. Look what happens. Oh, my gosh. Look what it says. Mary came where Jesus was. Saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I thought I saw something in you different, Jesus. You said this would not end in death. If you would have been here, if you would, I don't, I don't know why you stayed, but if you would have been here, Jesus. See, it's personal. Do you get it? It's personal. She's not letting him theologically off the hook. She's going, I thought I knew you. I thought we were special to you. I thought you loved us. 
I thought this promise was real. I just, she just, she's weeping while she's worshiping as she's wrestling. Weeping, worshiping, wrestling. Beloved, that's the tension. You've been in the tension. You don't know what day you're going to weep or worship or wrestle. He wants all of them. He wants you to do it. And the process means a lot to him. And look what happens when she does it. Look at this. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in his spirit. Beloved, what happens when God groans? Because human beings are caught in the tension of the promise and the death of the promise. And yet they lay hold of him. You said. Look what it does. It causes him to groan. Look what he says. Where have you laid him? No theological discussion. No, you ask him, Jesus, I'm checked out. I'm shut down. I've lost everything. This wasn't what it looked like in my mind that I thought when you promised. I'm checking out. Doesn't move him. A girl falls down, worships, weeps, and goes, I thought I knew you better. You said this would not end in death. This better not end in death. Boom! God groans. And once God begins groaning, oh, watch out. Look what he does. Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. He said, take away the stone. Now look at this at verse 35. I skipped over it, but look at it. The most powerful verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. You see, when human beings are put in the tension of a promise and the death of a promise, when human beings, in spite of all the evidence, worship and weep and lay hold of him, it touches God. How could weak creatures be this in love and tenacious? And it bursts something. Let me tell you, if you want to see something birth, cause Jesus to weep over New Philly. Lay hold of the promise when it looks dead. Like Abraham, believe that God can resurrect the promise. That's what your father walked through, right? He put the promise up on the altar and went to kill it. He said he believed against all believing that God could raise even the dead. And it moves Jesus. Jesus wept. Can you imagine moving God till he weeps? I wish I could touch his heart like that. I wish I knew him like that. I could weep over my nation to see him do something. That I was close enough to not let go of him. That I could move him like that. What if a people moved him like that? Look what he does. Take away the stone. Look at verse 39. Then Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, 
By this time, there's a stench for he's been dead for four days. So he's going to do what she wanted him to do at the beginning. But all she can think about is the dead body. She's caught in her own pain. She's let him off the hook theologically. She's moved on from the promise. She's waiting till the last day. And look what he says to her. Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? They took away the stone. And I love this. And Jesus lifted his eyes up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I love this. You always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe you sent me. And now when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice. What did it look like when Jesus is weeping and with a loud voice he shouts? And you know the old preacher adage, right? He had to say, Lazarus, be very specific. Because at that point, the son of God weeping would have said, come forth. All the graves in the world would have opened. He had to be very specific. Lazarus, that Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus, come forth. Look what he says. And he who died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Oh, this is what's interesting. What that produces in Mary. It undoes her. Because now she discovers something. He's even more powerful than death. Not even death can separate him. From the ones he loves. And she's the only one because she's sitting at his feet that hears that he's going to die within a couple months. And on the Saturday before the crucifixion, she comes in and takes her inheritance. She breaks it open over him. You know why? going to partner with Jesus to encourage him to contend for his promise when it looks dead. How can a human being touch God like this? How would he even let humans enter into this place to touch him like this? She goes in. She takes her full inheritance and she pours it over him. And Judas, what a waste. And Jesus says, leave her alone. She's done a good work. She's anointed me for my burial. Do you see it? She anoints him for his burial. Beloved, when Jesus was going to the cross, do you remember when the cross was too much and the morning women were again weeping and other Jewish boys going and he finally can't carry the cross anymore and he hits the ground and they have to get somebody to carry it and the the women are weeping and he goes, don't you weep for me. I look like I'm losing. I'm winning. I'm going to give birth to the salvation of the whole world. I'm winning. And I can see Jesus smelling Mary's perfume. partner with him like that. 
New Philly, you said, God, I want the deep things. I want to be the wholehearted people in South Korea. I want to be a catalytic movement that gives birth to a mission thrust in the kingdom and presence ministry. I want to, I want to partner with you. And God goes, you are. Yes, you're the ones I love. You are. And then he put you in the tension of the promise and the death of the promise. Now the choice is up to you. If you want to be Martha, fine. Just shut your heart down and theologically check yourself out because he doesn't explain why he gave the vague promise. He doesn't explain why all the fallout and the complexity of sifting your heart. And He's going, if you want to check out, you can. I'll raise everybody up on the last day. You can be like all the others. But if you want to enter into the pain of the death of the promise, make your heart vulnerable and groan there. Cry there. Wail there. Weep there. Wrestle. Pull on me till that baby's born. Pull on me. Pull on me. Pull on me. Don't shut your heart down. I know what it's like to lose friends. I know what it's like to not turn out the way. I know what it's like when the 120 abandoned me. I know what it's like when only 11 are left with me and then they run off. And all I can smell is a young maiden's perfume resting on my body. I know what it's like when even the father seems gone. I know what it's like. Enter into it with me, New Philly. Be a people who pray and worship and groan in your pain. Pull on me. Don't let me off the hook. Don't become tame like any other parish on the earth. I thought you wanted to be the ones I loved. I thought you wanted presence. Then weep with me. Weep with me. I'm telling you this because... In 2009, November 11th, the Holy Spirit fell for 10 months and marked me like I've never seen. <laughs> Ruined me. And then he told us, he promised that if we go back into the prayer room, that he would release a greater move of the Spirit. And as a sign and wonder, he would heal all the elderly in our midst for the last two weeks, and he did it. So we went back in the prayer room. Do you know what happened when we shut it down? At the end of 2010, all hell broke loose. All hell broke loose. One of our students goes, it just, all hell broke loose. For the next 10 years, all hell just broke loose. Our leaders, their bodies. I, I, I was leading revival with West Hall, praying, watching everybody guess, get healed. My body was breaking down. Do you know? I got torpedoed in the hip. Do you know big men don't like to lose control and fall backwards? They fall forward with their knees going right through your foot. My feet were destroyed from big men just putting their knees right through the top of my feet when I pray for them. I, I would literally crawl back to the stage. <laughs> and Wes was so kind. He'd go, the Lord wants to heal feet. 
I prayed for a big 350-pound man. We're on concrete, so I figure he's not going to fall. It's concrete, people. Wasn't We weren't even in the sanctuary. We're on the concrete. He goes, will you pray for me? Sure. I, I touch him, and he goes to fall out. And I go, he's going to crack his head open. You know, sometimes the Spirit won't rescue us from poor human dynamics. He expects us to ministrate things and organize things to be people friendly. I've seen guys in the name of the Spirit fall on an elderly woman and black her eyes and crack all her bones in her face. Can't blame that on the Spirit. He didn't want the Chinese lady to have her face cracked. So you've got to be wise. See, we just want him to be sovereign. We don't want to have human dynamics. It's much easier just for his sovereignty. For us to be part of the process and the complexity is just too hard. We're going to be like Martha, just be sovereign. <laughs> Am I touching some of y'all here? But I remember I prayed for him and the guy falls down. I'm like, he just fell on concrete. He's 350 pounds. He's going to bust his head open. So I grab him to move him and he yanks me and rips my shoulder out. I crawl back. People, I got devastated praying six hours a night for the sick for 10 months. I was devastated. My body was broken down. And, but I'd watch miracles right in front of me while my body's deteriorating. I'm going, Lord, this, this, this isn't right. <laughs> then everything begins. My body, my immune system starts attacking me, starts killing my thyroid, starts attacking organs, starts doing things. I don't know what's happening. I just know I want to go to sleep by 11 a.m. and don't know where I'm at. Everything begins to happen in my family. Corey Russell begins to go through his trials. West Hall, everyone going through it. And we're like, what is going on? This doesn't look like we're going back in the prayer room to see another move of the Spirit. This looks like just flat out death. So I'm, I'm at a hotel room in Fredericksburg, Virginia at a conference. Uh, it's there and Corey Russell and I are together and we're sharing our hearts and we're going, uh, man, this, this is, I've never experienced warfare like this. I feel like a death. I mean, my body's racked. I don't know what's going on. And we're weeping. We're close as a friend. So we're holding each other's hands and we're weeping and we're praying and crying out to God. And I go to bed that night and I go, Lord, if I'm going to go through this, then at least tell me what's going on so I can cooperate, right? Like, this is hard. I can't tell you half of it. It was just hard season. Everything, the rage of Satan, my own deficiencies, the, the, the corporate uh, dynamic, everything just got sifted and exposed. And so we're sitting there crying. I go to bed that night and have a dream. And in the dream, the first scene, can I tell this one story? I know it's late, but I'm going to tell this one story because I think it'll help you. In the dream, an article that I'd written in real life for ministry today called on Joel chapter 2, standing at the critical juncture, calling our nation to prayer and repentance. And so in the dream, I'd really written an article, but in the dream, it was on the Internet, and down at the bottom were all the comments. Have you seen that on the Internet? Are you all familiar with the Internet where it has, like, comments, <laughs> stuff like that? <laughs> comments at the bottom. What's interesting is the comments were all witches and warlocks putting curses on me. Now, I don't know if they were real witches and warlocks or just Christians giving their opinions. 
But one of the warlocks that were putting curses on me, I went through, I can't explain it, but I went through the into the comment, like my eyes went into it, and I'm standing in his house, the second scene of the dream. And he's standing there with tattoos and a python. He's putting curses on Christian marriages, Christian ministries, Christian children. He's cursing, he's cursing, he's cursing. And I'm just standing there going, oh my gosh. And the voice of the Lord says, it's witchcraft. I'm thinking, Lord, you mean the spirit of witchcraft? And he was like, witchcraft? Like a man? Like, And he says, it's witchcraft. I'm just like, oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. I don't even know what to do with that. I'm just like, okay. It's a real warlock. He's putting curses on me. I don't, I, okay. But the voice of the Lord says, it's witchcraft. What do I do? And then the scene switches. And Corey and I are standing with Bob Jones, this prophetic guy who helped give birth to the 24-7 prayer movement. We're standing there with him, and there's a massive revival of young people from all over the world. Just massive revival. And we grab Bob Jones and we say, the Lord has done great things today. The Lord has, and we're rejoicing that all the suffering led to revival. And I wake up from the dream. Now, nothing changed in my life, but it just felt better that I had a dream to understand it. So I call Corey up. I go, Corey, I had a dream. I got to tell you the dream. So I go down to breakfast and we're sitting there at the breakfast at the, the you, know, you know, the continental breakfast at the hotel. We're sitting there. I tell him the dream. He's looking at me and all of a sudden an elderly woman walks up and taps me on the shoulder. She goes, excuse me, are you Alan Hood? I said, yes, ma'am. She goes, my name's Bonnie Jones, and my husband Bob and I would like to have breakfast with you. Bob Jones is here? I've never met Bob Jones. I only heard stories about Bob Jones. I'm a little scared right now. I'm like doing the inventory in my life, seeing if there's any sin. I'm like, <laughs> and she goes, my husband and I would like to have breakfast with you. Corey looks at me. I look at him. We go, yes, ma'am. We walk over, we sit down, and he goes, yep, you boys been preaching Joel, hadn't you? I was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and for the next hour and a half, he basically tells me my dream. He goes, yep, you boys been preaching Joel, suffering, been calling the nation back to God. It's time for repentance and prayer. Yep, all the sufferings to lead you to prayer. Yep. And he, he gives us this basically Bible study on Joel. Then he then he uh, looks at us and he goes, yep, I see witchcraft tried to kill you boys. He looks over because in my dream, the man had a python. He goes, yep, I seen them python marks wrapped around your body, Corey, tried to kill you. It was so cryptic. Like an hour and a half, I felt like I was in like the twilight zone <laughs> as he was telling me things about my life. And I was like, oh, I get it now. This is real. And I'm sitting there as he's talking about witchcraft tried to kill us. I've heard stories of Bob where witchcraft's come against a people or a minister and has been sick for 15, 20 years. And he's just come and prayed, go in the name of Jesus. And they've been supernaturally healed immediately, immediately. And so I go, Bob, I go, uh, Mr. Jones, 
I'd never said Bob. That would just be too fast. <laughs> Mr. Jones, sir. I go, uh, would you mind praying for us? Like, we know witchcraft tried to kill us. And he goes, no, I ain't doing that religious thing. I go, what? He goes, what do you think I've been doing for the last hour and a half? I'm sitting there going, well, it didn't feel like prayer. <laughs> Felt really cryptic and amazing, but it didn't feel like prayer. He goes, what do you think I've been doing for the last hour and a half? He goes, you, you've been weeping, haven't you? You've been weeping, haven't you? Yeah. He goes, just keep weeping. He said, weeping gets the witchcraft out of your eyes. He says, witchcraft puts dust in your eyes because witchcraft is not what you think. Witchcraft tries to steal your perspective. Witchcraft tries to steal your belief in your fruitfulness of the past. And it tries to rob you in faith that you'll ever be fruitful again. It steals the joy from what God did in the past and steals the hope of what God will do in the future. And all the complexities put the witchcraft in your eyes. He said, but you know what gets the witchcraft out of your eyes? Weeping. He goes, you just keep weeping. You'll be all right. Your ministry's good. Lord's going to answer the promise. You just keep weeping. You know what? We've been weeping ever since. My body would break down at a whole nother level. I wouldn't know what's happening. Our school would be in an international crisis with a murder. Everything would fall apart. Everything, the deficiencies of the leaders would show. The vulnerability of the people. Hearts would close down. People would just give up walk away Corey's I would get a call from Corey's wife the next year she would be hysterically screaming Alan Alan he's dead Alan Alan he's dead and I can't find Corey who's dead what do you mean Dana what do you Nash is dead their nine month old son she put him down for a nap and he didn't wake up Corey's in England. She can't find him. She's screaming. He's dead. He's dead. He was the son of promise. They had tried for like seven years to have a boy. Miscarried twice. They got a prophetic word. She's going to be pregnant. She's going to have a boy. So it's going to be, boy, it's going to be your child of promise. She gets pregnant when she shouldn't. She has a son. They name him Nash after Daniel Nash, the intercessor who produced revival. Everywhere he went and prayed, Finney would then come and revival would break out. Did you know a few months after Daniel Nash died, the revival stopped? The son of promise dies. We would weep for years, the complexities. Do you know that phrase, the Lord has done great things? Do you know what psalm it comes from? Psalm 126, those who sow in tears will reap in joy. Those who sow in tears will reap in joy. Why am I saying this to you? It's pretty self-evident. 
God birthed this church in revival. He invited you into wholeheartedness. His presence was real. His promises were real. Nobody warned you of the cross that was coming where everybody's deficiencies would show. The enemy would hit our own discipline of the Lord. The pruning would come. The pain would come. And at that point, it looks like the promise is dead. You got an option. You can be like Mary. It was good while it lasted, but Lazarus is dead until the resurrection of the dead at the end. You can go, you know, I guess it'll mean something. I could have meant something. Like you could let the complexity touch you and weep and groan and wail and get the witchcraft out of your eyes so God could burst something, a resurrection of sorts. But it's up to you. I felt like in the back, the spirit of revival hit me again as I was drunk in the spirit. Just that ecstasy. You know, the Bible says, Paul said, if I'm out of my, if I'm in my mind, it's for you. If I'm out of my mind, it's for God. It's that experience of God where you're out of your mind for God. I could feel his presence like that. And I knew what he was saying. He was saying, I gave a real promise for a people of revival in New Philly. It was real. Didn't turn out like they thought. I wish somebody would cry with me. I wish somebody would weep with me. I wish somebody would not grow bitter over the first anointing to birth the movement, but would lay hold of me. The birth of Pentecost. My promise is still true. It just looks dead. But I'm the God who raises the dead. Do you believe me? I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And who believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this, New Philly? Do you believe this? Do you just want to be a transient church? Coming in and going out. I guess that's just who we are. The vision of really impacting soul and Kusan, it's, you know. Or do we want to be more? You want to see a labor? You want to see a birth? You want to see the Lord do great things today? You want presence worship in your midst and eyes opening and the ears popping open. 1,500 baptisms and the joy of the Lord breaking out in the midst after the complexity. What do you want? Well, think about it. What do you want? I was telling Susie, I go, I don't waste a good opportunity of pain. You only get a few. Don't waste it. I remember. Can I tell you one last story? This is a heavy word. You're like, I thought we were doing the father's hard thing all weekend. <laughs> well, you know, there's there's the father's heart where he just speaks to you. Shoots straight. Goes, you can have this if you want it. I remember this singer. This young singer came to Mike and I and she was upset because the worship leader had ripped her off of thousands of dollars. 
she sang on a CD. He promised thousands of dollars, but he didn't give it to her. He kept it all himself. And she came and she said, I want justice. And I remember I was young and just like, who did it? Tell me. I'll, I'll tear him to shreds. I was ready to just take him out. This poor little girl, this little 18-year-old girl left everything to be an intercessory missionary and she gets taken advantage of by this older worship. I was so upset. I was like, oh, yeah, we're going to get him. He's going to pay you and four times over like Zacchaeus. <laughs> and I'll never forget, Mike goes, he goes, yeah, we could force him to pay you. He goes, but let's think about this. He goes, Let's not be too quick to waste a good mistreatment and trial. We can make him pay you back and that's fine. Or you don't get many of these, so you don't want to waste them. Here's what you could do. You could get your $1,000 or two or whatever it was. Or you could forgive him. You could then sing on all of his albums in the future for free. And then sow into his ministry and give him money. I remember sitting there going, oh my gosh. As a young pastor, I was like, I didn't know that was an option. And then I thought, I'm not even saved. I would have never thought like that. That's, that's like God. I would have never thought like, I need to be renewed. Because his ways are not like our ways. And Mike goes, if you did that, think of how many tens of thousands you would get in the next age. What do you want to live for? Two in this age or tens of thousands in the next age? When the exchange rate is this good called mistreatment and trial and suffering, ooh, leverage it. That's when you want to invest. <laughs> that's when you want to invest. When the stock market crashes, that's when you get all in because you only got up to go. I thought, oh my gosh, I don't know Jesus. <laughs> Beloved, I feel like there's an invitation. I'm just going to set it before you.